Farzi, I owe you an apology. I'm sorry. What? Wait. So yeah. is this being recorded? Oh, wait, it is. That's good. Okay. Yeah. I am sorry because for roughly four weeks on this podcast, I began every one asking you, what did you do today? That was during the month of May for your Farwell for Hire campaign. I cannot believe we did not update our listeners slash viewers on the podcast last week. And that is why I am apologizing. We need to recognize you for what you did in the month of May. Because I asked you on the last podcast we talked about this, pro, or this uh, charity initiation that you have, when do we find out the total? Well, we know the total. And I need you to tell our listeners and viewers who may not know the total, how much money you and the Farwell for Hire campaign raised in the month of May to find a cure or control for cystic fibrosis. Mike Farwell, you know how much did you make? Popper, it's kind of funny because your timing couldn't be better on this. Apology not necessary. And I insist, again, uh, I get way too much credit because part of the Farwell for Hire campaign this year was a 50-50 drop. I suspect, I I would go out on a limb and say 90% of the listeners to this podcast bought a 50-50 ticket. I'm going to go, I I think that's a pretty sturdy limb I'm on because we all love our 50-50s at OHL games, right? And we could play across the province and all this stuff. So anyway, the the, the 50-50 draw alone raised more than $100,000, if you can believe it. The campaign itself, in uh, over the course of 38 days, managed to raise for cystic fibrosis research more than $223,000. The 50-50 jackpot included in that. Yeah, it was, listen, I I don't know what to say. It was pretty incredible. Loved it. Uh, But here's the funny thing about you asking today. I kid you not. As we speak, just this afternoon, one of my stops after work was at Channers Menswear in Uptown Waterloo. Great spot. Looking for something nice. Dad's day just passed, but maybe you stiffed them or you want to get something nice for yourself. Anyway. Nice if I got a new suit for the new season, maybe. There you go. Maybe one that fit. Shout out to Mark and the team at Channers. They'll do you up a custom suit. It'll fit you like nothing else, Popper. Like so I'm nothing told. Else. Anyway, they decided when they saw the... 223200 ish dollars that they don't like numbers that are not round numbers. So they just said, come on by and pick up a check so we can round you up to $224,000 raised. So I did. I love tough it. gig, tough gig going by this afternoon. But yeah, so it's funny that you ask. It was a, an absolutely incredible campaign. Loved every second of it. Loved the generosity. And uh, we're over $800,000, $850,000 now raised over eight years with it. So there you go. I think the only question I have left is why didn't you raise another 26000 I know. Like, come on, right? <laughs> why, why stop there? Get the no, 250 And that's, of course, what everybody starts talking about. You oh, took a like nap a, or what? Quarter million dollars. Yeah, what are you going to do that next year? Now, shut up. Shut up about <laughs> next year. We're not talking about next year, but it was a great year. Thanks for asking, and thanks to Channers for rounding up for us just today. Hey, no problem. Just wanted to get that out there. I'm okay. glad that uh, we uh, continue to raise money for control or cure for cystic fibrosis, and we're getting closer. So I we liked uh, your tweet the other day. So anyway, Speaking- you're doing good work. Speaking of things getting out there, do you want to do you want to make your stone cold guarantee on this podcast that you told me off this podcast when you heard that Greg <clears throat> sure. Walters was no longer the coach of the Oshawa Generals? And that is the bottom line because stone cold Chris Pope said so. 
bald guys. Um, yeah, Eric Wellwood's going to be the coach of the Oshawa Generals. Back up half a sec. How great are okay. those commercials with Stone Cold Steve Austin <laughs> and Ice Cube? An ice Cube? Ice Mark Messier. <laughs> Mark, Mark Messier. 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 Yeah. And he's I think the, Mess is great, right? He's the best actor yeah. of the three. Right? Because Stone Cold said so. That's, anyway. So yeah. have, have you ever wanted to work at a call center? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's great stuff. They really are yeah. good commercials. Uh, so Wellwood to Oshawa. You're calling it. Yeah. How do you not? He has history with that organization. He won with that organization. And now that they're looking for a head coach, it's pretty simple, isn't it? Like, I mean, it just lines up. Like, I'm sure everyone's like, oh, great guarantee, Pope. (laughs) Way to go out on a limb, you know? But I I think it's just a done deal as far as I'm concerned. I'm surprised Eric Wellwood has been without a job for this long, if I'm being honest. But Al Latang stepped down and on sound to go to Sarnia. Um, he's a new head coach of the Sting. So I, that's where I thought Wellwood was going. I mentioned it as soon as uh, Darian Hatcher stepped down. I said on this podcast, paging Eric Wellwood. Right. Well, now that Greg Walters is out in Oshawa where Wellwood has coached in the past, I think that under DJ Smith when they won, I think that's just an, such an easy fit and such a great coach for an organization that likes to keep guys around for a long time. They can get one of the young, bright minds in the game. I think it's a pretty decent fit for Latang too. While he doesn't have the same history with the Sting organization that Wellwood obviously has with Oshawa, he's been making his home in the Sarnia area for like 20 years now. So it's a really nice landing spot for the guy that spent a number of years and, and did a good job. Five years, I think he was there in uh, in Owen Sound, but did did a nice job with that attack team. They were not fun nor easy to play against. And so Latang will bring that brand of hockey to Sarnia and just let's uh, watch those Sarnia London rivalries now. I mean, they're always fun, but this will be another element to it. I'm sure Kitchener fans are kind of glad, <clears throat> excuse me, that Latang went to Sarnia because he has hard to play against teams. That's what he wants. And Sarnia is going to become a lot harder to play against for the guys in that West division. But now he's out of the Midwest. So, I, I mean, the Rangers fans have to be pretty happy about that because I, I loved the way he coached on sound. They were not fun to play against and got them to go to another level that I didn't think they were really at, to be honest with you. It must be a lot of time between games, Popper, because we're seeing all kinds of, I think it was two weeks ago on the pod when we talked about a, a number of changes or, or departures between teams and coaches. And here we are with, with three this week. Well, would we just talked about Latang? I guess we talked about him before, but finding the new landing spot. And now Jason Ford, the GM up in Barrie, also leaving to pursue other opportunities, which was the same line we heard from the Kitchener Rangers and Andreas Carlson when he left. And I, I mean, listen, it's been a long time between games. Obviously, I, other leagues are in operation and maybe opportunities to move up the ladder have have made themselves available to these guys. I don't know, but there's been a lot of change. There has been a lot of change and I'm okay with it, to be honest, because especially nowadays, I find with the way players are that fresh voice is often needed more so than not, or more so than not. Um, the Jason Ford one kind of surprises me a bit. I thought he built a couple really good teams up in Barry and made it sure a did. lot of good draft picks, right? There goes the Kitchener pipeline <laughs> to, to Barry. Right. We, whenever we went up there, it was like, this guy's from Kitchener. These three guys are from Waterloo. Oh, and they got four from Cambridge. Yeah, it was, Big it was crazy. Wilms was up there. Bahena. Yeah, there was, a, come to mind. there was a yeah. lot, laundry list. Yeah. You know, you, you go back to the Pearson and Shifley. Pearson, yep. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, they've been, that 
pipeline has been going through Jason Ford for quite some time. And I'm sure he will find something like to pursue new opportunities. That to me says he's looking for more, or maybe more of a challenge or he's got something that he's got lined up. Well, there is an opening in Kitchener. He doesn't want to come from the front office to behind the bench though. Does he as an assistant? Not as an assistant. No, yeah, yeah. I don't think I so. just, I just, because I look, no, don't, don't, quote anything oh hey farwell said this just because of the kitchener connections you were talking about i thought wow i mean there's it's an opening but yeah. oh and speaking of that i guess that's newsworthy and noteworthy as well all six foot six 215 pounds of roman schmidt joining the rangers blue line not too shabby no i think it's a huge pickup for them literally and figuratively because you got to assume bukoyevich is done and then sobrango could be done too could if- be could be so you're that's two glaring holes but if Sabran goes back that's a heck of a top pairing I think yeah and McPherson has graduated out of the league although he didn't get his OA year but yeah and and how much more possible do you think that makes Carson Rakoff the Rangers first round pick this year because both of course committed to the U.S. Mm -hmm. they don't they don't know one another but I just think luring one from the 2019 pick does that make the 2021 pick you know considerate now i don't know i have two thought two ways of looking at this one it may say to him that your playing time just went down <laughs> <laughs> right right you know we just brought in a guy who's going to log a lot of ice time uh you may have to you know gradually build up your ice time or two you don't draft a player in the first round in my mind if you are not a hundred percent that you can get him to commit to your team. Well, that's the thing. I know I heard all the naysayers and I, I get it because obviously it's, it's not a sure thing. And that's why Rakoff was still there at number 17 because 16 other teams said, yeah, this guy is not coming to the Ontario hockey league, but I, this has got to make Mike McKenzie feel good. He said when they talked about Roman Schmidt, that this was always the plan they've been working on it. And this is just really seeing the plan come to fruition. So good on them. I say that, but at 17, maybe you take a flyer on a guy, just like Saginaw did with that uh, Adam Fantilli, right? right? Take a flyer late in the first, you know, you think, well, he's the best player. He's this far, you know, above everyone else at this position. Let's take a flyer and see if we can do a recruiting job. And the Rangers have shown in recent years that they have been able to do that recruiting job, you know, with guys like Vukojevic, with guys like Luko Pilka a few years back, and now with Roman Schmidt. So maybe they're relying on their recruitment that next year he may be here. Who knows? Um, but I, I like the pick. I'm As soon as the, I tweeted out the pick, I got a message from uh, a guy who coaches in that age group, said, how did he fall that far? So could be a good pick. could be a good get for the Rangers too. If it's worth anything at all, and I think I might've mentioned this on a previous pod, but just in case, Carson's grandmother phoned me on right. the 570 News talk show and said, I just want to give a shout out to the Kitchener Rangers because they picked my grandson in the, and I'm like, wait, wait, this is Carson's grandma. Yes, it is. I said, can you get him to come to kitchen? Tell him we're nice people over here. She, I don't know about that, but Carson's grandma, big Pretty fan real, of the show. Real quick. <laughs> Cause you asked her, how do you say the last name? Rakoff. Rakoff. There you and go. now, you know, now Mike you know. Farwell show every day, 570 news, 570news.com. Rogers Canada player app thing. You can find that nine to 12 Monday to Friday. Did I get that right? It, not bad. Rogers um, Canada, Rogers player, Canada radio, Rogers, player radio Canada. player, but That's it might it. as well be Rogers. I like the way you think. No, I should be getting that right. Or I'm going to be fired. <laughs> the Rogers radio player, Canada app. 
I hear it enough on the radio. I should have it down. I was just trying to be smart. We, um, we talked about the kind of coaching carousel that's going around the OHL. I just want to bring up one more thing as we, uh, move on with the podcast and get to our guest. Who's, uh, we couldn't have timed this better. It was a complete accident, but we could not have timed this week's guest better. But after we recorded earlier this week with our guest, who you're about to hear from, you and I got into a little conversation and and we're now recording this intro uh, before we get on off this podcast and onto our couches to watch game six, Vegas, Montreal. But we were chatting earlier this week after the recording of our guest. And I said, like, I, I was this close to tweeting it, but I just, whatever. I, I would make the argument. I, like, I, I would honestly make the argument. Sorry, that, just real quick. When have you ever pulled back from I know, something? like, what's going on? That's a whole other <laughs> <are> conversation. You? <laughs> but I, you could make the argument. Maybe that's why. I didn't want to make the argument or get into the argument. Yeah. I would argue results tonight, notwithstanding. Like, there could be a Game 7 or, or Montreal could be punching a ticket back to the Stanley Cup. But Marc-Andre Fleury may... You could argue, pending the outcome of this series, may cost Pete DeBoer his head coaching job in the National Hockey League. I don't know, I mean, because he just got to Vegas, obviously, but there is a an expectation in Las Vegas. Pete is a guy that has been there and just hasn't quite gotten over the top. I see you shaking your head, Popper. You're out that, to lunch. It's, it's the difference between being up 3-2 right now and being down 3-2. You might, it might even be over because Montreal had outplayed Vegas in game three. And then Flurry just gags, like absolutely gags on that puck. Boom, it's in the net. Instead of being 2 1 Vegas, it's 2 1 Montreal. And Vegas is playing from behind in the series. It's changes one, everything. It's, it's not, it doesn't change everything. Changed it's one, everything. It's one play and it doesn't cost a coach their job. The fact they had 11 shots on Carey Price through 40 minutes may cost Pete DeBoer his job. The fact that they can't figure out a stymie defense may cost Pete DeBoer his job. The fact that his captain, Mark Stone, is clearly playing through something. Max Pacioretty playing through something. The fact that their best player is Alex Petrangelo. Where's the Nylander? Where's the 40-goal kid that they signed two years ago? That might cost Pete DeBoer his job. Not Marc-Andre Fleury missing a puck on one play. Like Kyle Dubas said after the Leaf series, they were talking about trading Marner by the time the puck dropped of game six or game seven or whatever they lost in to Montreal. Game, they get swept. I can't even remember. Um, you like would. That? Like that? You would. Um, but he, he said afterwards, he goes, if I wasn't, if I was happy with Mitch Marner up until the last five games, why would I concentrate on that five games and then ship him out of town? It's the same with this. Marc-Andre Fleury is their best chance of winning. I think it is a major mistake going to Robin Lehner tonight. And I will say that a million times over. Marc-Andre Fleury is the better goaltender. He gives your team a better chance to win. He misplayed one puck. Doesn't cost a coach's job. The fact that he can't get the offense going against Montreal, that might cost a coach's job. I hadn't even been paying attention. I'm glad to hear you say what you just said because I was thinking about it earlier this afternoon and I thought, if I'm Pete DeBoer, you're damn right I'm going back to Robin Leonard tonight because it's just something to wake the team up. you got to shake them from their doldrums somehow. And if you can do that by just putting another goalie in there, then so be it. I'll tell you this. And- Listen, there's, there's something called overcoaching, though, right? And when you're trying to do too many things, it throws players off. 
That's why line changes don't work. Or when you're trying to shuffle the lines, that's why that doesn't work anymore. Because players aren't familiar with the other players on their line if they haven't played with them before. They don't know. If I'm playing with a guy that I'm familiar with, I know where he's going to be when I'm F1 forechecking into the corner and I come up with the puck. I know what that guy's tendencies are. Once you start shuffling things up, that's why hockey, when they start shuffling the lines, the teams don't play as well and it's not as crisp. It's more like jungle hockey because they're not as familiar. So I think there really is something to do with overcoaching. Pete DeBoer is obviously... I don't know, 7,000 times smarter than I am when it comes to the game of hockey. And that may be an understatement. Um, so I trust him with whatever he sees every day. But to me, as a casual and maybe even fewer that or lesser than that, a casual viewer of the Vegas Golden Knights, Marc-Andre Fleury is the better goaltender. Well, I'm obviously biased, but I'm cheering for Team DeBoer and Team Spot. Simple as that. Having personal relationships with these guys saw what they went through to arrive at this level, 100% just pulling for them. But you and I were texting during game five towards the end and admitting like Montreal has been somehow, I I don't get it. Like on paper, I didn't think this was even going to be close, but it's not just, it's not as though Montreal's shocking everybody. If you're watching the games, they are the better team in every game, in my opinion, except game number one. Yeah, this reminds me of the St. Louis Blues from a couple of years ago. Coaching change, and then watch them go. Because they are just so hard to play against. They clam up that neutral zone. It seems like there's two guys on every puck. Vegas has no time, and Vegas power play has let them down. It's call Big a spade time. a spade. Big time. If they, if they get that power play working with the personnel on that power play, that is trouble. But they can't right now. And Montreal can just play as physical as they want. They're bullying Vegas. When I watched the Vegas Colorado series, I thought Vegas was the best team. And I thought this is going to be a clear walk through them. I didn't even think they'd struggle with Tampa or the Islanders for that matter. Now that we're going to game seven in that final, but I just, the way Montreal is going right now, I don't know, man, they there's that's something special. They got cooking. It make it's making me crazy. You know that I've said before, my only vested interest in the playoffs since the Leafs got eliminated is to watch Montreal lose. I might have to stop watching because this hockey, the hockey gods are trolling me hard. They are. But, yes. you know, this year, as Montreal continues to go on, they played an arch rival in the first round. They swept the second round. The score of the first two or three games, I think, in this series was the same as back in 1993 when a goaltender also winked on camera as we oh. saw Carey Price do. Gotta, can, can we stop overplaying that? No, I Patrick think it's Waugh, No, Patrick Waugh winked at somebody from the LA Kings. I should probably remember because you could see him skating to yeah. the top of the crease. Carey Price winked at his own player. Like, you I like know. that one? It's not the same. It's not even it's close to funny. the same. Stop. Well, I love it because if you look at – did you notice? Did you know that Price is wearing uh, – painted his helmet this year as a throwback to Patrick Waugh in 93? How would I notice that? I can't stand that hockey team. I don't know. You should look, though. It looks sick. <laughs> okay. We've got a game anyway. to watch. And and these the legions of the OHL Stories podcast fans cannot yeah. wait to hear from our guest. Hi, Mom. Um, I'm kidding. She doesn't listen. Uh, I do have to say real quick, we did this interview with a former Montreal Canadian on June 21st. That's when we recorded this. It is also the anniversary of my grandfather's death four years ago. My grandfather was a massive, massive Montreal Canadiens fan. So it was a little something special for me to interview a Stanley Cup champion in 93 with the Montreal Canadiens on the anniversary of my grandfather, George Parsons' death. So that's awesome. Just wanted to point that out. 
Uh, he started growing up in Quebec and then moved to Ontario to play junior B hockey before being drafted by the Kitchener Rangers. Played in that monumental Memorial Cup in Hamilton that went to the favor of the Oshawa Generals. But he went on to play in a Stanley Cup final with the Montreal Canadiens, hoisting the Stanley Cup in on the ice, staring up at the section where his brother Marcel was sitting with his wife. How cool of a feeling is that? Uh, Stanley Cup champion, but, Mike, he actually got maybe more famous um, in a town that he went to and then went overseas to play in Germany. But eventually, he got kind of tired packing and unpacking town to town, up and down the aisle. You're terrible. You're like, just stop while you're ahead. You like that one? Well, because no, I, I know I, 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 can, I can make the connection. I know. He's yeah. a legend in Cincinnati. <laughs> WKRP. We'll get more to that in the interview uh, with Gilbert Dion. I think this worked out pretty well, and I don't mean to jump into the middle of everything here, Gilbert, but what worked out is this is not a night for Vegas, Montreal, because I can imagine that you're pretty invested in these NHL playoffs right now. A lot of comparisons to this team and your 1993 Stanley Cup winning team in Montreal. You know, it's fantastic. And if it wasn't for, you know, Instagram and Facebook and and the connection you have with fans across not only Canada, but the world, it's they're bringing back some stuff, uh, some stats back to me that it's been happening like 28 years what I didn't even realize. So now I'm like, Are you, really, is that what happened? Is that what's going on? How many overtimes? And I was trying to catch back. I'm like, I think it was 11. It's 10. Anyway, it's just been remarkable. Fantastic run there. They are having, but all around for myself, Mike and Chris is I'm a hockey fan. So if we're going to keep going and talk about what's happening throughout these playoffs, I live in Ontario. I follow the Maple Leafs like everyone else in Ontario and sad to say that they didn't move on and weird. But I, I like I said, I, I, I like to watch the game the way it's supposed to be watched. Uh, fair or not fair, good calls, bad calls all around. I'm just a hockey fan and it's uh, obviously being biased a little bit that the Munchalk hands are just sneaking some awesome wins uh, and uh, they deserve it. They deserve to get those wins. Those overtime goals don't come alone, right? Someone's got to put the puck in the net and someone has to stop the puck and Carey Price has been on fire. Yeah, on fire might be putting it lightly, but you got a front row seat <laughs> to a former goalie that was on fire. I want to talk about that run before we move on to the OHL stuff, but you see these Habs games and like that one guy said on uh, uh, hockey night, it's going to feel like 35,000. What was it like in that barn during the Stanley Cup final? Well, me personally, especially playing at the Forum, uh, the capacity with standing, uh, the standing room was, I think, fifteen or 16,000 people, and they would allow people in to just go and stand up. And you were allowed to smoke cigarettes and drink your little back 50 uh, during that time. It was amazing. Uh, great atmosphere. Don't forget, there was a lot of history going on at the Forum, at the Coliseum Quebec, uh, the Boston Garden, all the original six uh, arenas that I was able to play uh, in uh, was amazing. But like you said, just the setup of the news, the media, the reporters just get things all wound up from the morning practice till the end of the game and after the game till the next morning. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. And uh, believe it or not, like this is kind of cool of today's hockey. They call it the hockey 24, whatever they have cameras. Now they have, you know, People are following those players inside the dressing room. So it's kind of neat. But for me personally, I, li- I liked it to leave it 
as is with just the boys and the coaching staff. But uh, it's amazing that it kind of shows um, the fans out there, the true fan, uh, what it's like to be a hockey player. And uh, But uh, all around when I played, it was, it was a fantastic time. It's amazing how fast time flies. And I know I'm not telling secrets when I say something like that, because we all recognize it. 28 years ago for you, Gilbert, uh, it goes by in the blink of an eye. But really, it's a generation ago. And you talk about being a fan of the game today and enjoying these playoffs. How do you feel about the game that we're watching today versus the one that you played in the early 1990s? Uh, I have, yeah, I've had my opinion on Facebook. I have a lot of good hockey former friends uh, following each other. And I, yeah. I don't, I don't like to be trashed or if I say something bad or wrong or a frustrated former hockey player, but the game has changed. It's me as a former hockey player to adjust to what it is today. Uh, we don't, I don't want to target Gary Bettman. I don't want to target the league, but if things are changing by getting rid of the red line and no more hookings, no more slashing, whatever, to protect any players, so be it, right? The game is so much faster. Uh, it's unbelievable. But then again, if I talk to Kirk Muller, Brian Bellows, all my former teammates, we were just as fast maybe a little smarter with the puck and maybe we would slow the play down a little better, but the game has changed. Uh, the frustration is there that some players feel that there should be more uh, maybe fighting or protect yourself, but uh, the league has changed. We're just trying to make sure no one really gets hurt out there. As I can see, uh, you know, the uh, John Tavares hit and so forth. Uh, you feel bad. Like we're still a family. We're a group of NHL players that look after each other and, and never forget that's, it's hockey, it's evolution, it's 2021, and I uh, really enjoy what I see. Uh, I have my own opinion sometimes. Everybody will agree with what, <laughs> what I see with my vision of, of being a hockey former hockey player. But all around, it's all about entertaining. And these players do want to play, and they are playing to win. One thing is the Stanley Cup. And uh, I wish to everyone, the, the Final Four guys, uh, all the best to uh, accomplish their dreams. The game has certainly changed, but the purpose of the game or the goal of the game, if you will, hasn't. And that is score more goals than the other team. Uh, that's something that other teams are having a really hard time doing against Montreal because of a guy you <laughs> mentioned, Carey Price. You played in front of Patrick Waugh that season and maybe one of the most dominant performances by a goaltender ever. What was it like playing in front of a goalie that hot? It was fantastic. Um, I was two on the, uh, in the dressing room. I was two seats back, you know, next to him and uh, his preparation of the game was just amazing uh bounce, bouncing a puck between his leg and back into his gloves so he can catch it you know and a, a puck imagine it's not a tennis ball it's a puck that was coming up at him and, and, and smashing it hard into concrete uh, we wanted to make sure his routine was not disturbed uh if things weren't going his way we all agree that we had to change our own routine to make him uh better and understanding this is patrick he wants it this way he touches post he slapped this uh the warm-up to everything we wanted to make sure that uh, if he was happy with his routine we were going to be happy also but all around uh i know the question is going to be carry prize versus wall i play i play with patrick i mean what can i say i see a lot of carry price a little bit of a style he's acrobatic, uh, very calm in that. Uh, people criticize him the last few months uh, of not performing, and he stepped it up. He, he kept quiet. Uh, he just let everything go his way, and uh, it's working for him. It's working for the league, and if it's not in Montreal, it'll be somewhere else, but right now he needs this. He's hungry for it, and I think everyone's on board from the young players to the coaching staff to just say, let's let's believe in Carey Price and go with it, and and uh, it shows. He's, he's just really being being over the top right now as a goaltender right now to beat. 
obviously with where we're at in the season, it makes sense to talk about in Montreal still being here as we uh, record this in a 2-2 series with Vegas and, and the Habs. But uh, this is all about uh, OHL stories. At least that was the idea when we, we started this podcast, Chris and I. Uh, and, and I'm curious, Gilbert, if we get back to the very beginnings for you, how a kid from Drummondville ends up in Ontario through the Golden Horseshoe League and then to the Kitchener Rangers. How did that all transpire? Well, my brother in the years past, my older brother, Marcel Dion, uh, 19 years apart, did make that move uh, in their early 70s. Uh, he uh, decided to come to play junior in Ontario. The opportunity was better for him to come here. And uh, I followed his footsteps. I, uh, I think me personally, uh, not necessarily was not trying to not play for the Quebec uh, any uh, league. I just thought an opportunity to come, uh, learn English, uh, try to maybe... Uh, relieve the pressure of being the brother of Marcel and they're coming to Ontario, not realizing that I could get away with just maybe an uncle or, or, or maybe not being related, uh, coming and, and trying to do my own thing, right? To trying to show and prove that I can play some hockey. I do feel I was a late bloomer, what you call, you know, I turned 16, uh, uh, struggled, of, not necessarily the first season in junior B, but, you know, scored 11 goals. And then the second year I got 48 goals and uh, get drafted by the Kitchener Rangers 19th round. Uh, you're looking at 268th overall or something like that. Something crazy. I was at the draft, believe it or not. Uh, draft started at 9 a.m. and I got drafted around 5 supper time. And I went and shook my, the Joe McDonnell's hand and the, co- the coaching staff that was left over at, at the table. And I, it was super awesome. And let's not forget during that time in 1990, my uh, draft year, the uh, uh, name of Randy Pierce from Elmira got drafted after me and we both made the team. It's just amazing scouting. I don't know if it's the scouting report or not, but absolutely amazing that we both made the team with a high, high rank uh, draft. <laughs> you mentioned that pressure, having Marcel as your older brother. How'd you deal with it? I think it's good. I, I was, you know, how are you supposed to deal with it? I mean, are you telling the truth or are you just uh, fib a little bit? Uh, <laughs> the, the frustration of can, can, he can't come on the ice and put the puck in the net for me and all, but I was so proud of what he accomplished, a Hall of Famer. Uh, top 100 of all time, so many records, play for Team Canada, 72, you know, he's he's out there, right? I mean, it's awesome that Marcel still loves ho- the game of hockey and, and follows it closely with the, uh, much of the uh, older fellas uh, in the league, and uh, it's nice to see them around. When I go to Montreal, uh, you have a Guy Lafleur and Ken Dryden and, uh, um, and uh, Yvonne Cornway says, hey, where's your brother? We're looking for him. Uh, we have questions for him. Like, it's it's amazing that these guys won like 10 cups and they come from championship teams and looking for my brother for advice or for whatever reason they have to do business with them. So it's, it's kind of cool to, uh, to experience that, uh, to be a younger brother myself. I'm a younger brother. Uh, my brother's four years older than me. And I'll, I'll be honest, there was quite a bit of rivalry growing up. And still to this day, I think there's a little bit of that competition between us. I don't know about at 19 years, if it's the same for you and Marcel, but I'd love to know if at a Christmas dinner, the ring ever comes out and Marcel, look what I got. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know what? At the end of the day, when Marcel was the ambassador and still is for the LA Kings, uh, Bruce McNall handed up uh, one, of, one of the management and ownership ended up giving him a ring uh, when they won their, their cup, uh, their first one uh, a few years back. So it's kind of fun. But at the end of the day, he's just proud that, that our name is on the Stanley Cup forever. 
uh, he's also gets, like I said, his name has been all over the Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. So it's a, it's kind of neat accomplishment and very exciting to uh, that both brothers. Uh, family of eight, let's not forget, Marcel was the oldest of eight. I have another brother and five sisters. So I grew up with my sisters. Uh, they're very close to me, but uh, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. And I make, you know, close to Kitchener, Waterloo, I make my home. So ever since uh, 1990, I've decided to come back after my career and uh, make Kitchener my home. So. Gilbert, I'm just going to apologize because I'm sure Farwell and I will be bouncing from NHL stories to OHL <laughs> stories to family stories all over the place. But sure. you, you originally came to Ontario to St. Catharines um, where you picked up English. How tough was that being on a junior B hockey team trying to learn the language? Uh, I went to a, a French school in Welland, Confederation School. So it was fairly, not necessarily easy, but it was kind of at ease a little bit. We could, I, could, I was able to speak French with the French class and, and some make some friends at that school. But I will always remember the late, uh, my billet at the late uh, uh, Al Boone uh, had to drop me off at the arena at the Niagara Falls arena back door. And he says, you go into that door and I'm looking, don't speak the word. He goes, you go in, get dressed and I'll pick you up later. And I'm like showing up at five o'clock for a seven o'clock practice. Right. I mean, at night and I'm dressed up, like I'm dressed ready to go for like two hours and guys are just making fun of me. Like what's up with this French toast? <laughs> I get harassed pretty good. And, Whatever we call it, bullied or not, I took it, never took it personally for these guys that I can name and I'm still in contact with. I think it was harmless, a lot of fun, a uh, little bit of tease and all around. Uh, look what happened years later. I'm on TV and they all cheer for me, uh, watching me win the Stanley Cup. It's nothing even better that I still met. I thank the ones, the coaches from the past, from the kit, you know, the Niagara Falls Canucks, the Kitchen Rangers, and so forth. So it's, uh, it's very memorable. Uh, back to the Rangers, let's not forget uh, the teammates that I played with. If we want to mention the Kitchen Rangers, I got Jason Firth. I want to say hi to Jason, by the way. He just lost his mother uh, this week. So uh, Firthy and I are very tight. So I just want to say a shout out to Jason. Uh, let's not forget the Stephen Rice, you know, in Kitchener and Torch. Torch was in net and the John Uniac. So we still talk. It's good. Like I said, right? it's a good thing to, want to have Facebook and Instagram and uh, messengers to keep in touch with these guys and Scott Herman and Steve Herman in town. So it's a lot of fun. A championship run will do that for you. And in those two years in Kitchener, the second year, of course, is that 1989-90 season. And we've we've had the honest privilege, Gilbert, of talking to a number of participants in that, what many call the greatest Memorial Cup of all time. I don't know how it felt if you recognize that while you're in it or you're just in it against Eric Lindros and the Oshawa Generals, but what are your recollections of that Memorial Cup? Like, you know, the, the one that get away, that's the <laughs> one that just troubles me and makes me so mad. But let's not forget that we came in, uh, they call it the backdoor way because of obviously the Hamilton host of the team, which just uh, had a very poor season and performance. And uh, we were able to come out in our division, but it uh, seems like Oshawa owned us a little bit. And uh, let's not forget Eric Lindros. Like, I mean, the big machine and during his junior career was massive, uh, intimidating, but uh, we just came out proud. We went play, play a lot of hockey for uh, during the Memorial cup. And that's not for the cops. Coliseum was packed. And, uh, you know, I've, Two Ontario teams battling uh, for the Cup. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't come out uh, the way we wanted to with a double overtime goal uh, that was tipped in. But uh, all around, if I look back, it's a very hard trophy to win. Let's not forget uh, on an average hockey player in junior, you know, if you play five years with your overage, not everybody plays five years in junior. You play one, two years, you get you know, called up. Or I only had two chances, like two years an opportunity to 
make it to more cups. It's, I feel like in sports and hockey alone, it's the hardest trophy to win um, because your your season or, or your career in junior is so much shorter than, than an average sports that you can play a thousand games in the NHL. But uh, all around, it was uh, fantastic. Uh, I'll never forget. And the Rangers has won other cups, you know, after the 90, but it seems they always bring the 1990 <laughs> Memorial Cup, that, the one that got away. <laughs> we, as Mike said, we've talked to many people on both sides, really, but a lot of the Rangers players let, tend to say like, oh, you know, it was a good game, but I don't really think about it anymore. You know, it's in the past. I'm glad someone finally just said, no, it pisses me off. That's the one that got away. I, I'm glad somebody finally said it. Well, it did. And at, at the end, the big tease is uh, Eric Lindros is very close friend of uh, Mike Turkia and Todd Simon uh, that I play uh, in American Hockey League. And, and Lindros used to tease us with his Memorial Cup ring. But when I end up getting traded to the Flyers, I had my Montreal ring with me. So I just shoved it in his face. I go, here we go, bud. Bam. I couldn't wait to give it to you. But the best part is, like I said, just playing with him with the Flyers, the Legion of Doom, uh, a, a true Hall of Famer too. It's, it's uh, something that, like I said, we're all friends at the end of the day. It's a big family. Hockey families stick together a lot. Uh, a lot of teasing going on. But for me personally, it, it hurt me. It, but I think the Memorial Cup 1990 run, I've had a good, good play, uh, the good Memorial Cup run. And I think that tournament alone uh, got me a chance to get drafted because there was a lot of uh, NHL scouts at that time. They don't use what they use today, Mike, I guess, the, uh, whatever, the, the scouting reports online and blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, you had to have scouts in the stands to go watch us, you know, watch us play. And um, for me, it really helped me that I had uh, uh, Moundou from Montreal and a few other NHL scouts to uh, give, give us a greed and say hi, how to reach you and stuff like that. Was, uh, that's how I accomplished. That's how I made it to uh, the, the NHL. I truly believe that. I wondered about that because obviously playing that deep into a season and in that incredible a tournament, you get more eyes on you for sure. But you you weren't certain, were you, Gilbert, that you were going to be drafted into the National Hockey League after just two years of major junior? Yeah, like, like you know, like I said, once again, my first year, I don't know if I had 11 goals or 13 goals. Then the second year, I got 48 goals, 105 points. Uh, was I better at not being having a chance to go try the world junior for a little bit. Like I was leading the team and so forth. Uh, uh, but you're young, right? You're trying to figure out is there politics involved or not? I was not a flamboyant hockey player, just an up and down guy. I go to the net, get my nose dirty, get my points and, you know, trying to do the best job you can. Uh, but like I said, that this Memorial Cup thing, I think it just seals it that you can see a clinch player somehow, I guess, in a short amount of time you have, one week of hockey to just give it all. You lose two games, you're out. You win four, you carry on type of thing. I find it this, the, the Memorial Cup could bring some potential. I say, this kid, you know, struggle for a couple of weeks in regular season. No, pal, is the guy that just can bring up, you know, to another level. So uh, I feel those tournaments and even thing with playoffs that you see in the NHL or any sports, if the player can bring up that extra edge or a final way, uh, that's where uh, it's a little hidden gem, right? Some scouts can see that. Uh, that some others can't. You mentioned his name. He's been a guest on this podcast. And I know Mike and I have reached out to Mike Torquia repeatedly. Hey, we have this guy on. What should we ask him? Do you have a story? <laughs> it seems like Torch has a story about everyone. So now I'm going to ask you, Gilbert, do you have a Mike Torquia story? Um, like, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I got too, too many concussions. But I say that the the good Mike, not only that uh, he was my teammate, we uh, married a sister, so uh, we play some junior hockey. All I know is, is Mike's got a super brain. Uh, 
so much. He remembered all the stats. He remembers. And the, the funny joke about him and I is when we're together and they have someone that comes over and said, hey, I'm Tony. You remember me? I'm like, no. Mike would say, Gilbert, you met him at Shooters. It was 1994. Uh, you had a beer with him. Uh, that, I'm like, what? How do you remember all this stuff, right? But uh, Mike is just a sponge, right? He remembers all these things. All we had was kind of fun, a lot of innocent fun. That's what I remember, not only from Mike. Mike was very disciplined at that time. Like he said, a goaltender had their own way to just really behave. Big games as us, we just like to goof around and so forth. But all around, uh, the rival Fulham that play in our team, you know, the, the, so much fun. And, and we had some good leadership too. My first year with uh, Mike Martinelli was around, you know, Rick Lane and those guys would show us, you know, even though we're – I'm you know, 16, 17, and these guys are turning 20. Their career's over, right? They would still guide us to become a better person, better player, to trying to win the Memorial Cup. And Joe McDonough's coaching staff uh, was super awesome for me. So it was exciting. Yeah. Talking about uh, having beers with guys a long time ago, I have to confess, Gilbert, you are my claim to fame. OK, because I grew up a Leafs fan. I've got a lot of friends. I don't know why they're friends who cheer for Montreal and we're always going at each other. You and I met during the 2008 Memorial Cup in Kitchener and you bought me a beer. And I said, no, no, you're the Stanley Cup winner. I'm supposed to buy you the beer. But you insisted because that's the kind of guy that you are. I tell everybody to this day, they can take their Habs love and ways and shove it because a Montreal Canadian Stanley Cup champ bought me, the Leafs fan, a beer. Thank you for that. <laughs> Oh, you're welcome. It, it must have been a re-gift. I must have had two free tickets, and I yeah, just turned it up to me until I bought it. <laughs> but uh, you know what? It's a good time. That was a good reunion. I was very happy. And not only because I'm a Kitchener Rangers alumni, I just feel that organization. And, and I know the London Knights. I know some teams you know, in, around the league, the Knights doing so well. They're so professional. And how can we have so many players like myself like to stay in Kitchener at the the public, the people that just supporting the Rangers uh, makes you feel like even the young guys, the midget kids that wants to get drafted, they understand Kitchener. Why Kitchener? It's just so good. It's it's a tri-city. It's a big enough Kitchener Waterloo, but yet it's small enough that it seems like you can meet and greet everybody at the grocery store or anywhere. You can walk around and everyone recognize your your Rangers. You know, so it's uh, it's very nice. I'm very happy that I'm a Rangers alumni. And the organization's been fantastic. The staff has been there for 28 years. They're still there working. You can tell it's working. Uh, like I said, in a short-term time, when you see uh, Pete DeBoer's, uh in Vegas that's been making his time here and his assistant coach, uh, it's amazing. It's, it's an accomplishment that the people in Kishwaterloo have to realize. We played here. We'll never forget our junior years and junior time. We always mentioned our fans in the past, and I still do. So I'm really thankful for and I make friends through uh, the Kitchen Ranger years, and I'm still golfing with them today and, and uh, having a lot of fun. Arzi's brought up a couple of times that he's a Leaf fan, so I got to ask this question. What was <laughs> it like playing underneath four-time Stanley Cup champion Joe McDonnell? You know what? It was, it was fantastic. Uh, like I said, uh, very intimidating, and why not, right? You're young. You're just trying to – I could barely speak English, right? Uh, but, I mean, just the fact that uh, – the way he was knowing that we were still kids, right? I, I think somewhat he would give us a little bit of a leeway of say, okay, be a kid. But uh, we were very respectful. If we we're just crossing the boundary, he would just bring us back to say, hey, you guys crossed the line. I don't want this crap. You came here to play some hockey. You want to get drafted in the NHL. You want to play. You want to go further in life. You know, it, it was very well done. He's, he did a great job during my time here. And uh, for those who did listen to him, 
did make it and and whatever it, they went, right? It doesn't have to always be in the NHL. Some play in American League, some went to Europe, so a few guys went to Europe. But uh, he gave all, everyone a shot and an opportunity. And I've, I'm, I'm thankful for him uh, uh, that he was my coach for those two years I was here. From the Kitchener Rangers, Gilbert, it's into the Montreal Canadiens organization that we already talked about. Uh, 81st overall, fourth round, I believe, was the round you went in. And then it's to Fredericton in the AHL, where you make enough of an impression to get your call to the National Hockey League. And of all times it comes, though, it's at Christmas. What do you remember about that first NHL game? Uh, it's obviously the call up. I mean, it's not like today you can say, wow, sorry, I'm just going to stay home. And, uh, can I just go the next day? Uh, it's flying, uh, you know, a late flight, whichever flight I was able to catch from Ferriton to Quebec city, uh, being called up, didn't sleep a wink. You know, you're supposed to have your little afternoon nap. Who am I going to be a roommate with? And I got Guy Carboneau as a roommate, the captain of the team that's supposed to get his own room. I'm like, did not sleep a wink. We're watching a soap opera. I think it was like General Hospital or something. He wasn't to that. I'm like, what is going on here? This is the NHL. <laughs> Very exciting. Um, all you wanted to do, me personally, my first time on the ice was not to make a mistake. You know, I didn't even have a practice, morning practice to loosen up. It's, How you doing? What's happening? And go out there and just don't get scored on. Right? It was one of those weird moments. But as you get more comfortable, and I get called up again, and, and and let's not forget the late Pat Burns was my coach in Montreal. So uh, this man was rugged, rough, former cop. Uh, did not give an opportunity or any chance to a rookie uh, to put our foot down and say, I'm here to stay and so forth. So he was a very well-disciplined uh, coach that wanted nothing but more, 100% out of you. And uh, it was kind of nice that I got uh, really started my career with Pat. Take us through that moment, though, when you walk into the dressing room for the first time and you're playing your first National Hockey League game as somebody who grew up in Quebec for Montreal Canadiens. We talked about some of the names around the room. Do you say a word in that dressing room or do you just not mention, like, not make a peep? The the feeling, let's not forget, like, I'm going to track back just a wee bit, is Marcel was supposed to go first overall. Marcel and Guy Lafleur were the top two players to go first overall either way during the 1970 NHL draft. So big story. I don't want to get into it about Montreal or what happened. Where did Marcel end up second to Detroit? And then they picked Lafleur, blah, blah, blah. The scouting report doesn't matter. I didn't really like the Montreal Canadiens growing up because of that reason. Uh, not necessarily that I understood or what was happening, but, you know, my parents, you know, read the paper, do the news, that uh, was it fair or not fair that Marcel left and went to play to Detroit and then disappeared in LA for 14 years and, we would barely see him, right? We'd see him two weeks out of the year. So I had a little bit of a mostly I'm going like, Canadians? What? There's no chance he's going to make the Canadians because they were always champions, right? The odds are making it. But I was not necessarily fortunate. You, sometimes things can happen through an injury. So someone got hurt. A uh, veteran of many years for the Canadians got hurt, and I snuck in there. And I know for sure when you start producing, you start scoring goals, making points, search of art. That's the story I heard from search is, Pat Burns, I can't send the kid down. He can't. He's scoring. Like, I mean, the media's going to kill me if I send this young guy back down to Ferrickton. And uh, they decided to keep me, and I stayed. And I was proven. I scored 21 goals in 34 games or 39 games. Uh, and uh, I made my my spot. And playing a, having a Hall of Fame, Denny Savard as a centerman, and a Mike Keane on the right wing was a perfect match for, for us to, uh, to have a, a good start of my career in Montreal. But you're right. The dressing room feeling. To watch Guy Lafleur, Mr. Bridlevo, uh, at that time Maurice Richard would come in, uh, Henri Richard, 
and we let them in. We, we wanted them. We needed them to be part of uh, our family. Uh, if we had any issues, I remember I was struggling. It, it doesn't take 10 games to struggle back in the old days. It's one or two. If you go three games struggling, you get sent out. Are you healthy scratch or you're, you're booted off the team? So that was a lot of pressure back then. I just couldn't get the puck out. I was struggling. And Mario Trombley, uh, Stanley Cup champion, four or five Stanley Cup champion, uh, was by the – he was working for a radio station then. He goes, kid, come here. Was you struggling by the boards? I said, yeah, but what do you want me to do? And he just gave me a few hints of saying, I think you need to go back to basic, go lower to the zone. Once you get the puck, you feel that you're pressured on so you don't get hit, don't get an elbow in the head, just get rid of the puck off the glass and just do a few things that – really calmed me down, right? Because he could tell my hands were getting a lot tighter. I would start losing some ice time. And uh, look, once again, we have someone uh, from the Mo- former Montreal Canadiens just guiding us. And I, I really appreciate all these guys being around the dressing room. It's fantastic. That first NHL game was against uh, a great rival in Quebec, obviously, at the Colisee. The Boston Bruins, also a very big rival of the Montreal Canadiens. And I understand that during a game in Boston, there was uh, a memorable exchange or interaction with a fan that left you thinking, when do I get out of this teeny tiny arena back to safety? Uh, so there's back in the old days, obviously the boards and the glass were about this tall and uh, they're giving you the big spotlight, the red light at the uh, uh, intermission at the uh, penalty box. So you got to watch the light. Then I think it was linesman, the big Collins. Collins was linesman uh, or Lou. I, I forgot which one. He just posted was. So let's go get to the face-off because we're into the face-off and you have to wait 10 seconds before the uh, commercial is over. And I'm by the glass and I'm getting punched by the back of the head, being grabbed by my jersey. I'm yelling at the linesman, drop the puck, drop the puck. I'm getting killed over here. And that was the atmosphere that we'll never forget in Boston that if you were there, there's no way you're going home without a nice pack on your shoulders, your back, your knees. It was very tight arena. The fans just wanted to kill you. You know, theoretically speaking, that they just wanted Montreal out of there. And I was remembered again, punched in the head. And I'm just yelling at the linesman to just drop the puck. Man, I'm getting killed here. So uh, very memorable. Smaller, small buildings, right? I mean, small dressing room. Uh, it, was, it was a good feeling to just do that. So, <laughs> Was that the toughest place to play? Uh, Boston was uh, because, like I say, being a small, very small building, like you could take a slap shot from the center ice. Like Ray Bork, Ray Bork would line up sometimes. You're just trying to surprise us, uh, taking a slap shot from center ice. Uh, let's not forget Chicago Blackhawks was hard. Obviously, Quebec uh, was tough. Uh, you know, all the, the the small arenas back then uh, in Buffalo also. And, and, and it's too bad because we weren't playing Toronto too much, but, the, you know, Having us going to Toronto and Philly Garden was the same feeling, right? A lot of Stanley Cup winning, uh, you know, the the atmosphere and, and and the fact that you had only friends watching hockey night in Canada, man, on Saturday night, like every one of us, me, Paul DiPietro, Patrice Brewer, we were. I was dying to have that towel around my neck. I wanted to do an interview. I wanted that towel that I've seen for many years on TV. My brother getting around him and and a lot of you know you know a lot of hockey players with that towel, and you get to keep it. That was my dream. Uh, to see Don Cherry and then uh, McLean and, uh, and and Dick Irving and so forth. So it was, I'll never forget some of these uh, memories and I cherish them forever. How close were you to becoming a Maple Leaf instead of a Philadelphia Flyer? Uh, I came real close. Uh, I, 
used to bug him at that time. Uh, Pat Burns was there. Uh, we had rumors that I was going to end up going to, to Toronto and on a package deal with Paul DiPietro. And then I told Burnsy, as I saw him, I was still in uh, Montreal at Flowers at that time. I said, why don't you come and get me? He goes, I didn't need a left winger. I needed a center. <laughs> he said, we didn't have the money to take both of you. And he regretted it after that. I said, why didn't you come and get me? But, and uh, Because we had a love and hate relationship. Uh, like I said, Pat, uh, deep down, he really liked all of his players. But he wanted to make sure that rookies at my fellow you just can't come in here and push people around and, and, and making waves. But Pat, uh, as much as I don't want to say as much, I hate him as a coach. If he needed a goal, he put me out there on the power play. And I would want to, I was dying to score a goal for him. That was the relationship I had with Burns. And we're like, I hate him as a person. He hates me as a person. My personality, he hates it. But you know what? If I needed a goal, he needed a goal. He threw me out there on a second power play. He threw me, give me all the ice time. Uh, the opportunity to go out there and prove to him that I wanted to do this for him and for the team, right? So that's, uh, it came close. It would have been nice to play one game for Toronto Police, but uh, unfortunately it didn't happen. You've mentioned quite a few names already, but only one of them was prefaced with Mr. Mr. Beliveau. What did he mean as a player on that team to that organization while you were there? I think uh, the way he composed, you know, his composure, tall you know his hair was at that time nice and great tent stanley cop the ambassador uh, of 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 the montreal we and after that right i guess uh, i was still going to the hockey game i'd see him in the lounge and so forth this man would stop for anybody like i mean right now you know i don't want to jab anybody in today's hockey i'm not signing this card that i want to get paid there's still billable sign like a hot dog package man he sounded a dirty napkin with the mustard on it was a beautiful signature to anyone that would stop him because he knew it he says i'm here i did a purpose in hockey i went back to the community and with his uh, wife being there also at every single game uh it was amazing like i told you like watching these guys around uh, it was amazing to just knowing the love of the game right i mean now i get to uh, see Guilafour more and, and more of those guys. Vision Wool, that's the president of, uh, of the Montreal Canadiens. Chris Nyland, I'm hanging out more in my group. You know, Stefan Richer, and these guys won Stanley Cups. I mean, it's fun to see, uh, especially Yvonne Lambert. We talk, we reminisce sometimes between uh, the, the period and the dressing room and talk, what's going on with this team today? Is that going to go? And we feel it, right? We want them to succeed from the... Uh, um, P.K. Subban being on the team, he was struggling. He had a super hyper personality like I, like I did, so I didn't see anything wrong with him. But he had to leave for whatever reason. I was second when he left, right? I mean, he was a good kid, tries hardest and, um, and so forth. But there's a code sometimes you have to respect regardless of, uh, you know, if it was in 1950 or 2021, there's a code out there that you have to respect in a dress room and you have to follow it and respect every. Uh, organization has their own way to to do that. And the Montreal Canadiens are very strong at uh, believing in that. So. You know, when you talk about that, Gilbert, it makes me think about, and you already mentioned the pressure, obviously, that comes with being a part of that organization as a rookie there and the pressure to stay up and not get sent down, et cetera. But also the, the media spotlight in Montreal is pretty damn intense. We hear about it in, in Toronto, of course, and even here in junior, Chris and I hear about it all the time, just even with the Kitchener Rangers, because there's a lot of media attention for the, the team here in the Ontario Hockey League. But, but what was that like in Montreal as a, as a kid that obviously could handle both official languages, but the, the media pressure must have been intense? 
It was. I've, I did say a few things that they call them declar- you know, declaration and the paper that I do I regret what I said? A few a few words. Uh, I was trying to protect myself. None of us went to school. None of us had some sort of guidance to how to deal with the media. We had I, one time I counted was like seventy at least in the in that the form at the in the dress room and just get your microphone right after you just got punched, you got sticked and you know you just got slashed. You lost a game and you're frustrated. Your ice times got put down. Of course, you say things that sometimes you should probably calm down. Uh, and and do you re- do I regret it? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But it's thing in the past, right? I can't take it back. But the pressure is definitely there. Uh, sometimes you're trying to say something, and especially as a French Canadian, you're trying to uh, interpret in English, just don't turn out properly or uh, great. But uh, we had the Mike Keane, like I said, Carbonell. Lilo DeLine and guys after that said, and Kurt Muller saying, hey, you can't say this. You can't say that. Okay, I'm sorry. And then, then, he, then your interview becomes boring. Then all of a sudden, the media is going, then you're so boring today. You don't say a word. I go, well, that's the way they want it. So we're, we're all going to be like Mario Lemieux and, uh, and Sidney Crosby. Just keep it simple and short and, and be boring. But OV is OV. I like Ovechkin because he tells like it is. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> I always say the same thing. We always complain about athletes and how they don't say anything. And then when they actually do say something, we criticize them. We can't, we're never happy in the media. That's right. Um, <laughs> speaking of the media, uh, one of your former teammates just won an award in the National Hockey League, Rod Brindamore. You played with him in Philly. Was Rod the Bod the most physically fit player you've ever seen? He was amazing. Amazing. His preparation was sickening. Uh, he would uh, hide somewhere in the shower. You know, a dry shower, just laying there in the total, almost a three-quarter darkness of his own and just focusing like crazy. Uh, we would uh, do some push-ups and sit-ups with him sometimes after hockey, you know, to just get ready. So quiet. And what I see today is not the red and more that I play with because he's so energetic. I think he, he's well-spoken. Uh, he talks so well with his teammates. And what's going on in Carroll is amazing. He's a great guy. He was a great teammate uh, with a lot of heart. He reminded me of Kirk Muller with us in Montreal. Sometimes you have some true leader that doesn't have to say much, but they go out there and give it all. They give it all for their teammates and for the team itself. And I was so happy uh, that Rod won the cup in Carolina. That was long waited. You know, it was probably over a thousand game at that time, or close enough uh, to win it. So I'm very happy for how things has turned out for him. I remember reading a story once when he was in college, how the person who was running the gym had to chain link the door shut because he wouldn't get out of there. And then Rod actually broke into a closet, grabbed bolt cutters, cut the chain so he could get in and work out. Uh, you know what? It's, it's an addiction too, right? I mean, it's, if you really, you really like and love to, to work out and, and perform to the highest level and look at him compared to myself, some players say, well, if I would have done this, I could have done that. But sometimes your body just can't do it. Your mind is just not set for like some of those athletes and players that uh, uh, lasted a very long time in the NHL. But uh, you're right, like Rod was just an absolute machine, looked after himself. Uh, I had a brief tryout uh, with another uh, player, and I just lost my mind. I just lost who I was going to talk about. <laughs> but I totally believe uh, um, he broke his neck in Calgary. What's his name? Uh, 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 Suter. No, the other one. Anyway, oh, the other he, one. He's, uh, I thought. What? No, the, 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 the guy Gary, that's, Robert, Gary Roberts. Yeah. Thank you. My goodness. Oh, I don't know Robert, why I said Suter. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Robert. So same thing. A very, very dedicated, hard man. 
we went to a practice. I uh, was in Carolina. We went to uh, an exhibition game in Tampa Bay, and then we came back. And at three thirty in the morning, you know, everyone's just cracking a beer or two in the in the hotel and whatever to do. All we heard is a huge blender, and here he is mixing himself up a massive uh, protein shake blender. But you know what? The guy was a hardcore machine, and he still owns. You know, he runs and he trains some NHL players of today, and uh, those are exceptional uh, athletes of today. And and let's not forget Chelios also at fifty years old was still playing super machine so it's kind of cool any fan of the game Gilbert knows that there's a a bit of a tradition and or well maybe it's both tradition and superstition that when a team wins the conference and the trophies being awarded they won't touch it because that's not the trophy that matters it's the Stanley Cup that matters you can you can confirm or deny but I but I heard a rumor that perhaps the old Wales conference trophy that year that uh, in 93 when Montreal won the cup was actually touched, and you might have been one of the people touching it. 100%. Uh, I was passed on the trophy to Guy Car- from Guy Carbardo, and I said, are we allowed to touch it? He says, you better touch it because you might never touch it again. So uh, we passed it around. We took pictures. Uh, we didn't feel one, uh, one stitch of suspicious, um, superstitious unless someone from the aviation would have told us. But no, hey, we passed and we enjoyed ourselves with it because we knew that that could have been it. Uh, and especially from our captain that already won the cup in, in 86 uh, to tell us and came close in 89 and just tell us, yeah, it's, this is as close you could probably get. This is it for you. Like, I mean, you know, might never do it again. So we definitely passed that trophy around. I did anyway. I enjoyed it. Right. <laughs> drank out of it and uh and i i wanted more so i i wanted a big trophy after that one so <laughs> so but suspicious or not we weren't uh like i said we had our own little routine that uh turned out pretty crazy at the end when you're sticking around for the long playoff run uh, uh, from a crazy song to start getting dressed to sit the same spot to order the same food uh, for months and months it was uh, weeks and weeks was just craziness but uh i wouldn't mean they I would never trade it for the world. So it's good. When anyone talks about that, that run that you went on to win the Stanley cup, it automatically everyone just talks about Patrick Waugh and that run that he was on. Did you guys believe watching him that, that if he's like this, we're going to win. Like, did you guys have that belief in the room that if he's playing like this, we're, we're winning the Stanley cup. And, and I could track back a little bit. Let's not forget. There was a very, very hard bilingual dress room. We had uh, nine, ten English players and French. So there was a lot of mix uh, emotions also, who hangs out with who. And we were trying to be teammates as much as we could, but the French guys would hang out with the French and the English together, trying to mix it in the dressing room. At the end, you just – there was a lot of fights. that We started to hate each other sometimes. The, the, the time spent all the time, the frustration of Matthew Schneider couldn't get the puck out and Patrick quite yelling at him to get the puck out because Patrick would – look after his defense, man. If you don't do this job, you're going to be benched. You're going to get off my face. And there was some scuffle. There was some fights during practice. There was, you know, at that time, you don't have 30 cameras and fans to like they, they have today. But at the end of the day, even though if you didn't have to go for dinner for any one of these guys that you probably weren't really friends with, once we were all dressed up and hit the ice, we were like a freaking team. Like you cannot touch us. The vibration, the overtime, like how how nervous were you guys? You'd have Mike King get out and say, who's got this goal tonight? And then we're just looking at each other. That's a lot of pressure if you raise your hand. I go, I get this one, right? You know, like, who's got this one? Which line? How are we going to do this? And like I said, it was so much fun 
we had pressure, but it felt like it was gone once you just start going and hit the ice. It's just kind of like believe in what the coach was telling you. I'm watching some highlights again. They're showing the 93, and I'm like, I've made so many stupid mistakes that I wouldn't even tell my peewee team right now. Don't do this. <laughs> and I was doing it in the NHL. And yet I'd be back out on the ice and, and working on practice to say, you know, this could have cost a goal. This could do that. Just the odds are you're going to be better in the offense than on defense. And they set us up with Gary Lehman. That was his meeting with Jacques Demers. Gary Lehman goes in dressing room and he says, I got to put you center with Paul DiPietro and Gilbert. And, he, and Gary says, why? Because these two don't back check. So he says, you're going to be playing the defense, <laughs> defensive defenseman. <laughs> oh, it was so much fun. But those are stories we find out later. Eh? Let's not forget that it was a big meeting uh, that Jacques believed that we're, you know, we're going to shock the world. And that was like, are you crazy? Shock the world beginning of the year. Uh, he called it. And he just, uh, just before the playoffs, he took about his seven, eight veterans into the room and goes, guys, I need to take a few uh, seconds per shift from each and every one of you because I have to play these kids. So what he was trying to say is like, okay, Vinny Danfus to, you know, Muller, Carbono. He said, guys, I'm going to take 30 seconds times whatever. I need to play Gilbert. I got to play Paul DiPietro, Ed Ronan. I got to play Breezeball on defense and so forth. And the, these guys said, yep, sounds good. That's your quote. That's fine. Thanks for letting us know so you don't get frustrated that they're 18 minutes goes down to 16 minutes. Why? What's going on? So that was a true open relationship that Jacques had and, and having believe in him and him believing us. And uh, it obviously worked out well for our playoff run with me and Paul DiPietro was uh, we're able to sneak a few goals and points and do our job uh, at the time we were getting out there and, and trying to get it done. You know, mm-hmm. these memories, Gilbert, make me think back to that. And I wonder what you remember or what you can tell us about your feelings in game five of that final, because it, look, it, it seemed pretty obvious uh, that shocking the world is exactly what the Montreal Canadians, your team was going to do. Uh, the series was well in hand. So you knew going on the ice that night that this, this could be it. What, what was going through your mind? Cause you had the Kings right where you wanted them. This, this could be the Stanley cup winning game. What's the emotion like for you in that, in that moment? We're flying back. We had a private, whatever you call it, private jet, just a private plane, uh, Boeing 333 Air Canada. So we're coming back and I'm turning around. And, and at that time, you drink a lot of coffee before game time. And there was no Red Bull or whatever it is. But you're trying to get as much energy you can get out of anything else, right? Uh, so I'm turning around and Patrick, uh, Guy Carbonell, Mike Keen, the boys are just back. They're playing cards and I'm just flipping my, my body back. I said, Carbo, is this it? Are we coming back? We're not coming back. We're not coming back, are we? Are we going to win the match off? He tells me in French, he goes, kid, shut the hell up. Eat your ice cream and just leave us alone. Just calm down. And it was funny because he used another word, right? But I mean, the excitement that we did, for me personally, I, you know, you lose eight pounds, you can't get it back. Like, you know, you're just so tired. And the emotion, can we win it at home in front of our crowd? Do we have to go back? Is this it? Is this it? That was the emotion. I was running so high uh, of, of hopefully not coming back. Let's not forget, we were playing against the greatest player in the world, Wayne Gretzky. Like, who knows? You give him a little bit of a doubt to say it's over. He could have said, really? I can flip this game anytime. I just have to have that chance and opportunity, but it didn't work out for him, obviously. Uh, the illegal stick in game two, uh, the three fantastic goals with Desjardins and the two overtime goals, I think really killed with the John LeClerc two goals in, in LA 
coming back with that momentum. I think LA had a rougher or maybe longer travel time at the West Coast in that time than we did us uh, in the East Coast uh, in our division. So I don't want to put any, you know, give any excuses, right? Uh, I think Toronto should have went into the finals with the uh, darn right, Gilbert. Darn right. <laughs> Thank you, Kerry Fraser. Love it. <laughs> But all around, I tell all my Leafs fans, Jill Bear, if the Leafs were to play 93, who would have won? I said the Leafs 100%. They had the better team. But we would never know. <laughs> it doesn't really matter. No, nope, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And if anybody <laughs> wants to tell someone that the Leafs would have won, someone has two Stanley Cup e- or rings plugging his ears. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you, um, you, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but and, and you know, the feeling of going back home, we were, leaving, uh, we're staying in the uh, – hotels at that time we were allowed to go visit our family members obviously our kids and our wife for just a brief moment but we'd spend a whole time in montreal at the hotel and coming home who wants who wants to take care so the distraction was just getting overwhelmed and it was awesome that the montreal games organization and probably today still do the same thing leave these players alone whoever needs tickets call us do not bother the players let them be and they did really look after us uh, and fortunately, I had a couple of tickets to hand out, two extra tickets. Marcel was in town. I brought myself to the game. My mom and dad wanted to stay in Drummondville, watch it on TV, uh, more comfortable with the media and listening to the uh, to the play-by-play uh, on TV. But uh, never, ever I expected a riot. Uh, I didn't get out of my clothes, to my my gear, till about 1 o'clock in the morning. Uh, Celine Dion was in the dress room. I was more excited talking to Celine Dion in the cup. Uh, I was on the phone with my mom. I said, mom, you wouldn't believe was here. And I passed the phone to, to, to Celine to say hi to my mom and so much excitement. Like it, it's kind of cool. It brings a, a lot of good memories. Unfortunately, the, the riot caused a lot of havoc in town, uh, but we were able to still have a parade uh, three, four days later into, uh, with our fans. It was about four to 600,000 people on Richard Brook and it was a fantastic summer. Uh, we owned the town. I owned the city. It was it was awesome. With all the respect of the fans there, it was uh, and and Canada, uh, all across Canada. When I travel, I used to play golf tournaments and just they say. And I I'm switching a subject, but I remember uh, speaking to um, Brad May. Uh, we see each other through the alumni. And Brad won the Stanley Cup when, uh, with the Ducks, and I looked at his ring. Oh, it's beautiful and stuff and everything. And show mine. So I says, yeah. he goes, you're lucky. I looked at him lucky you're lucky he goes no Gilbert you're lucky you're like you won the cup with the Montreal Canadiens the CH the original six you know and I I never felt it that way I just thought what do you mean you wanted to he goes yeah but you won it with the Canadians like a Canadian team like it's must have been great so it's kind of neat that uh, you have another teammate you know an NHL alumni that won the cup uh reminds you that uh, you played for one of the greatest team in uh, in, in, in NHL history so yeah, they, they have a few cup winners there, I think, in Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> and you um, know what? And, and they're trying. Like, it's not like any other team are not trying right now. Like, I mean, I don't care if people are going to tell me right now the Habs haters say, oh, you get lucky, lucky this. You need a break once in a while. I don't care. what I, I kind of missed a few of the last hockey game. I apologize. I haven't seen all. Apparently, the refs were terrible. This and that. It is what it is. I just the, the, if it's a missed call, the game is so fast. There's two refs. There's two linesmen. They're human after all. It's up to the league to decide what's up. Take a break. Let's have a regroup with refs or linesmen. Figure things out. Uh, the Perry high stick. They missed a call. Whatever it is. The player themselves cannot dwell on what happened the night before 
and that's what the organization calms people down. Let's move on. I took a I took a penalty uh, in Quebec game two. It was an elbow. It was a fragment elbow. Two minutes, they score a goal. Scott Young score a goal. We lose the game. And I thought I was getting signed to Fredericton. Search of art comes in after the game. It was so quiet. I felt alone. I felt really like someone deserted me. Right? He goes, "Come here, kid." He goes, "Go get it back. It's just a game." Brush it off. It's over. We're going back to Montreal. We're going to beat them. I need you to play some hockey. Don't worry about it. And this is Sir Trevard, you know, a general manager that won many cups. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a monster. Yeah. So if I didn't get that boost of confidence to say, hey, that's enough. Okay, calm down. And we're going to go back and regroup. Who knows what would have happened, right? So I think this is the same thing what's happening. Of You lose in overtime. So what? Let's go get the next game. The series tied. It's not over. As long as they keep believing themselves. Let's see what happens. They have so many young players right now that uh, I believe that they need that ice time. They need the opportunity to make mistakes. They have to get that mistake back by go score goal and so forth. So they got something good going on. But once again, Vegas is very strong statistically. Tampa Bay and New York Islanders that we face the Islanders in '93 also are making a, a big move. So it's going to be very interesting who's going to come out of uh, to the finals. It's one thing for Mike and I and anyone else to sit at home and watch the game and go, oh, Connor McDavid's really good at hockey or Sidney Crosby's really good at hockey. And like we did in the past when we watched Wayne Gretzky. But you mentioned maybe the best player. And, but as a, as a player in that league, what was it like the first time you saw a guy like Gretzky? Uh, if, he was on, if I was on the ice and he started coming on the ice, I would skate as fast. And I was a terrible skater. I'd skate as fast as I could to get to the – to the bench and change because I didn't want to get scored on <laughs> on Wayne Gretzky. I think that's but, the biggest compliment you can give a player. I'm, right? like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was matching lines back in the old days. Uh, it's no order to lie. We played some sort of a trap. There was a matching line, and which still they do sometimes, and, and it's a little much harder now. But I mean, uh, let's not forget that I also played against so many other great players. And Mario Lemieux was another one of uh, mine. Uh, Necessarily a hero, but awesome to watch. He came out of the Hutch, uh, Hutchinson disease. I forgot. Hutchins? Uh, Hutchins. Yeah, Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just Hodgkin's. came out Hutchinson's disease. Uh, so he came back and played some more hockey. And uh, it was phenomenal to watch that team. Like Pittsburgh, then we came back to back standing up. Jagger, Francis, right? Barrasso and that, and so many Samuels on defense. It was fun. Like, like I said, I played against some very, very good, talented player. And not realize I was part of that mix, right? So it's it's kind of neat. Uh, but once again, the Wayne Gretzky that people keep telling me, I thought he's protected. You can't hit him. I said, listen, we try to hit him. It's just something not right with this guy, man. We just can't get there because if you miss, you're in trouble. So we'd rather not hit him. Just get off the ice. <laughs> I yeah, imagine man. you just coming to the bench trying to get a line oh, change and everyone's going, no, no, not me. I'm not going out. <laughs> I know. I said, this is the shortest shift you're taking. I said, look who's out there. <laughs> but, uh, but all around, like this guy didn't score 3000 points plus or whatever by, by just sitting around. Right. So uh, all around, I was very happy that I had an opportunity to play uh, against Wayne and so many other players during my career. You know, hearing you talk about that, that feeling of winning that cup with, you know, one of the original six and, and arguably the, the greatest franchise the National Hockey League has ever seen and what that meant. And, you know, I'm sure you weren't buying a drink in Montreal for many, many days after. But despite all of that, there, there's only there's only one place, Gilbert, that has a Gilbert Dion day. And uh, it's not Montreal. How did that come about as well, you were a player coach in Cincinnati? 
there's a lot of Gilbertian nights in Montreal now, but uh, no, no days. Uh, actually, in Cincinnati, was a fantastic, fantastic time uh, that I've had there. Uh, once again, an opportunity that I've, uh, after I turned 27, realizing I think the NHL was kind of out of reach uh, and the International Hockey League uh, was still fairly strong with some big cities that could probably support, obviously, NBA players decent to put on a good show. Uh, when I went to the Cyclones, uh, it was a fantastic time, four years there. Uh, I'd still be there if I could. Um, it's It touched me very well, like the fan base. Uh, let's not forget they had the Cincinnati Reds, the Bengals, and the basketball teams. Uh, we were just a Cyclones people in the United States trying to teach them what's an offside, what's an icing. and that. Like, again, Cincinnati, you think it's a big city. It was still small enough that you had your hockey fan, and people wanted trying to get into sports. And uh, give me the key to the city in December 2nd, 2006, I think, is the Gilbert Dion Day. It's unbelievable. I've yet to go to Cincinnati and celebrate that day. Uh, I'm saving it to uh, for a special occasion, but I mean, uh, all around the, my jersey is retired, and I get uh, a special day uh, in Cincinnati every year. So it's one of Farwell's favorite American cities because of WKRP. Absolutely, Absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> in Cincinnati. That's right. <laughs> on, on that note, I was good. Uh, okay, I'll save that question. I'm going to ask you. Um, what are you saving uh, it for? Well. But, Okay. He okay. just sang a little tune. I was going to ask him why he has the nickname The King. Oh, boy. So um, it started in Montreal again. Things were again tight. I just I just love to goof around a little bit and, and, and relax. And I think I'm going to track back also what I was telling about Patrick, uh, superstitious and all the guys. And things were so tense. And I'm like, what's going on around here? So then the boys are looking and go, hey, so Brent Bell goes, King or you got to do something, man. This restroom was just like, oh, there's something wrong. So I said, I'll be right back. So I just go back, you know, in the private area and just come back, buck naked, a towel around my neck, uh, hair fl- all the way back because I had a mullet then. And I started singing an Elvis song, right? Just a crazy Elvis. And I was going, what is wrong with this kid? What a crazy burger. But I loosened everybody up, loosened everything up. I looked at everybody. Everyone knew. I said, hey, it's just hockey, boys. Let's get out there and go have some fun, and that's what happened, and it just named me, they named me Kinger until then, so just sing a couple of songs. You're going to give us an Elvis impersonation right now? <laughs> no, thank you very much. No, I <laughs> I love doing karaoke, but uh, i got to have a couple beers before I start doing that right now. <laughs> Liquid courage. <laughs> exactly. You know, it, it strikes me as your approach to the game, Gilbert, is is kind of just what you talked about. It It was a game. I mean, yes, you're, you're out there to win, and we know how competitive you were, and you don't you don't win a Stanley Cup as part of a team without having that competitive nature. But did that mm-hmm. ever did that ever rub anybody the wrong way in the pro ranks that you took it? Maybe they didn't think you took it seriously enough. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. Like I said, like I mean, you're, you're living it right now with PK Subban, right? I mean, I when I was going there and watch some hockey game, I wish I would be so much closer to him and tell him like, don't change your personality for nobody, man. I mean, regardless of what's going to take you at the end of your life. Uh, this guy's going to be on radio and TV, whatever he wants to do. I mean, he's working hard. Uh, he has more pressure than I ever had. But I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes it, it's it's sad me because how could why would you want to change a player's personality to turn into some sort of a robot? I didn't understand that concept at all. If I was not harming anybody, if I was not doing anything, I was working out like everybody else. I was skating like everybody else. Never missed a curfew, you know. Like I was, I didn't understand that it would. I think I found it the pressure of 
some media and or not understand when there's two jerseys uh, on the table center in the middle of the dressing room that Mr. Corey, Corey that was our president back then, there's two jerseys there. One's Patrick Webb, one's Joe Verdeon to get the team to sign. And I look at the trainer, I said, you can't put my jersey there, man. You're, you're targeting me. You can't go, hey, that came from on top. That came from the, from the brass. I'm like, okay. So is my popular, popularity was good? Yeah, with the fans they were. But when I was not doing well, I was getting shit on, man. At the like, right at the at the mall and down the street, and I was getting booed. And I, but when things were well, they were giving you everything. That was the pressure each player was put on themselves. It was more pressure for French Canadian because the English media would protect the English players, uh, of course, because you didn't want to lose what you already had. They want to be biased for the Toronto Star or you know, anything like that, or the, the, the Montreal Gazette or whatever it is. But they had the right to protect those English guys because they didn't understand what the French media was all about. But that was a lot of pressure of sometimes you would say or not say anything and it just turned out ugly, right? You had to express, explain yourself the next day. It was just a nightmare. But And it still is probably today. Uh, but there's not too many English, uh, French players in Montreal right now. So the English guys just couldn't care less. If, uh, whatever they say or not, I think they just carry on and, and so forth. But uh, that's my story, right? It is what it is. Like I said, I had a great time. I wish I could have played a thousand games. Uh, I tried a you know, missed opportunity in Philadelphia, signed a two-year deal, went to Florida, went to the finals there again, uh, the year of the Rats. Uh, it was an opportunity to be part of that team to lose in the finals. I was up there, I mean, uh, part of that, that championship team, right? I mean, a lot of fun. But at the end of the day, I don't regret a single thing I've done in my career. Uh, bottom line, I won the Stanley Cup. And today I'm just healthy, you know. Uh, I drool once in a while. It must be those concussions. I don't understand why. <laughs> that drool's like out of the blue. But I think uh, those those hits that hit, you know, hit my head a few times. Uh, all around, it's all good. I feel great. And uh I love this game. I still do love this game. I don't watch it as much as I should. Uh, but then again, it's just, uh, it is what it is. And I just wished, like I said, I wish everyone an opportunity that's out there to just keep working hard. These young kids, I was age, played at Wee tournament in Quebec, and I always wanted to be an NHL player. It is, it can happen. It will happen if you try your hardest. And it's a, I don't call it luck, but someone out there will believe in you. For those young kids, those midget, these COVID, this COVID time sucks for all of these players out there. I feel for them, but something good's going to come out of this. To be patient, the NHL is going to help these young kids that should be drafted uh, now, which they can't. The midget age. Uh, I hope something will gather together. The junior league ranks can add an extra overage year. I don't know. Whatever's going to happen. Uh, I just, uh, it's the greatest sports in the world and I'm very proud to be part of the uh, hockey family. I, that's a great way to, to end things, but as Farwell knows, I like to add one. Here comes the last one. Here comes the last one, Kinger. I know, right? I know. I know. (laughs) Hey, someone's going to send me some keg uh, gift cards. Deal. (laughs) He knows how this works, eh? (laughs) One one last quick one, because I just, a Stanley Cup champion going over to Germany. I have to think you were a king walking around in Germany with a Stanley Cup ring on. What was it like in Germany? It was fantastic. Uh, it was very different. Uh, I'm glad that I played in Krefeld uh, under Chris Valentine, and a former NHL player uh, for uh, New York, uh, sorry, uh, Washington Capitals. Uh, and I played in two uh, – in uh, – what was my other one? 
So I went to Krefeld and Hanover, to Hanover. The fun part is uh, they were allowed uh, 10 imports or 10, 12 imports around the world. So there was all 10 were Canadian. So it was kind of fun that we were kind of a, a good friendship bond throughout the league. Hey, don't hit me. I won't hit you. And the arenas were Olympic size. And it was impossible to go hit somebody. I was so lost for about a month or two, Chris. It was like, these guys on the bench knew what they were doing because they've been there in the past. And they come in the bench, you what's going on? He's, they're laughing. I said, well, why are you chasing these guys? It's impossible. Man. <laughs> Don't worry about the hitting. It's not going to happen here. And then it was a totally different adaptation of, of a different game aspect, but a lot of fun. And you look back and like, who, like who in the world would pay you to go play in another country and live, um, the history of Germany and so forth. You could take a train in France and, you know, within a few hours in a totally different country. Uh, it was very nice. My kids came with me, had to go to German school until uh, this day. They remember that it was hard, right? It was sad that you lose your family. And today these kids go, dad, that was super awesome. I will never forget. We went to Germany I, and that's good, right? It's build memories. It builds character for my family, but it was all around fantastic and unbelievable the soccer atmosphere into hockey. That's what they brought in, the soccer. And the three-quarter roof, we play outside. So it was freezing cold. There was a three-quarter roof. Uh, you could see the snow coming in, freezing cold but all around. There was always a cold beer somewhere waiting for you. <laughs> After in Germany, the- you don't say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oktoberfest, my friend, it was Every day it was Oktoberfest. <laughs> well, we kept we kept you after eight o'clock. So next yes, time sir. we're together, I'll buy the beer for the Stanley Cup champion. Hey, sounds good because it's almost past my bedtime. Gilbert, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing this. It's been a lot of fun. We really appreciate yeah, it. All around, I thank you, everyone. Thank you to Kitchen Ranger fans and the organization at all, and you guys for doing this on the Zoom meeting. I appreciate it. And until uh, next time, all the best to the family. We'll say good night. Yeah, alrighty, ciao. Hi, I'm Joel McLeod, co-host of the 905er podcast. The 905 is one of the most diverse and densely populated regions of Canada. Four and a half million of us live, work, and play in the area surrounding Toronto. That's more people in the 905 than actually live in Toronto. Each election, the 905 decides who forms our government at both the provincial and federal levels. So why isn't more attention being focused on us here in the 905? We're looking to change that. My co-hosts, Roland Tanner and I, tell the stories that define what we are calling the most important region in Canada. Each week, we bring to your attention news, culture, and issues that make up what it means to be a 905er. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Or you can visit us at 905er.ca to subscribe. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.